Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Author and nonprofit expert Heather McLeod Grant is the co-founder of Open Impact and a social entrepreneur, author, and consultant with 25 years of experience in social change. She is the co-author of the best-selling book, Forces for Good, The Six Practices of High-Impact Nonprofits, named a top 10 book of the year by The Economist, as well as authoring numerous case studies, articles, and other publications. Heather will share with us how fundraising is fundamentally changing in her opinion. She'll talk about how and why donors are giving now, in particular new high-tech donors and millennials. So if, if nonprofit leaders are really going to succeed and continue funding their nonprofits, they're going to have to learn how to crack the giving code, if you will, of what's motivating these new donors today. I believe as you listen to Heather speak, you will begin to recognize some of these same trends going on in your community, in your city, and in your nonprofit. Enjoy today's show. All right, Heather, let's dive right into this critical topic of fundraising. You have a new report out regarding Silicon Valley. Why did you set out to do this research and tell us about the process you used? Thank you, Rob, for having us on. Um, I'm delighted to be here talking about The Giving Code, which is our new report on Silicon Valley nonprofits and philanthropy. And the reason we decided to dive into this research, um, a couple of things. First of all, my business partner, Alexa Colwell, who co-authored the report with me, she and I both live in Silicon Valley. And we've been working in this region for 20-plus years. Um, she's been on the philanthropy side in her career. I've been more on the nonprofit social entrepreneur side of the house as a consultant and advisor and board member. And long and short, we were noticing some of these disconnects between these new wealthy Silicon Valley donors coming online and then some of the local community-based nonprofits we were working with and seeing that these two were really not connecting. Um, at the same time, Alexa had done some research about three years ago for the Packard Foundation, just starting to dig into the data on this question about Silicon Valley nonprofits and philanthropy, and that had been very well received. So she went back to the Packard Foundation and said, you know, we really need to get some real data behind this and, and actually have the time to dig in and make sense of what's going on in this marketplace. And so Packard Foundation very generously funded us to do about nine months of research. We went out and we talked to more than 300 stakeholders, both high net worth individuals who are relatively new to philanthropy and are just starting to ramp up with their giving, as well as community-based organizations and nonprofit leaders in the community who are trying to figure out how they connect to this new wealth and these new resources for the causes and the constituents that they serve, you know, in their communities on a daily basis. So that's a little bit, so it was a long process of research. Um, that's a little bit about why we decided to do it. And, of course, the results are published in The Giving Code, Silicon Valley, Nonprofits, and Philanthropy, which you can find 
on our website, and I'm sure you'll provide a link to it. Absolutely. We'll definitely make sure people know how to get that and download it. Heather, you point out the fascinating paradox when it comes to Silicon Valley. While the Valley's technology companies generated $833 billion in sales last year, which is an astounding number, $833 billion in sales, and the region boasts more than 76,000 millionaires and billionaires. At the same time, however, the middle class is shrinking, and nearly 30% of residents, roughly 800,000 people, rely on some form of public or private assistance to get by. So what were some of your key findings and what surprised you the most regarding philanthropy and the social sector? Yeah, exactly. Well, and you named some of the key statistics. So a couple things were sort of the headlines of the report. On the one hand, there's a good news story here, which is that philanthropy in Silicon Valley is increasing significantly. It's pretty much doubled across all different asset classes in the last decade. Private foundations being set up, donor advised funds being set up, the amount of money being put into those donor advised funds, uh, corporate philanthropy, it's all gone up very significantly since um, 2008 and the recession. On the other hand, the sort of more difficult news is that even in the midst of all this prosperity and increased wealth and giving, we're seeing increasing income inequality and disconnects with community-based nonprofits serving those communities in need. So in some ways, what you could say, um, you know, you mentioned the 800 you know, $833 billion in sales, I mean, that number just boggles the mind. And when we actually got into the data and we really had to look at data about Silicon Valley's economy to understand how much wealth is being created, and then we dug into data on philanthropy, how much of that wealth is being earmarked for philanthropy, and it's close to $5 billion a year now, uh, we were astonished by these numbers. I mean, 76,000 millionaires and billionaires, and that's just in two counties with a total population just over 2 million. So that's a very, very high percentage of newly wealthy families. These are people who work for Google and Facebook and Apple and some of the, you know, LinkedIn and all the big companies that, you know, have really become part of the global economy and part of all of our lives. Um, so they are creating all this new wealth. And again, the good news is they're starting to earmark more of that for philanthropy, um, partly for tax purposes, but partly because this generation really cares about giving back. But the bad news is all of this economic growth is actually creating huge dislocation and significant needs um, in the middle class and working class populations of Silicon Valley. So you're st the statistic you cited, about 30% of residents um, in these two counties relies on some form of public or private assistance to get by. So that means they're accessing food banks, they're accessing housing assistance, they're accessing government and social services, um, demand for nonprofit services has gone up significantly in the region. And that's because the cost of living is so out of control that many working class and even formerly middle class families are struggling to make ends meet. The rents are astronomical, um, food is expensive, cost of living is really high. And so unless you're one of those lucky few, privileged few who gets to work at Facebook or Google or LinkedIn and the big tech companies, um, it's becoming increasingly hard to live here for average everyday citizens. Well, and what do you think the cause of this disconnect? You mentioned already the disparity just in pricing, housing prices, and, and of course, income. Um, but kind of the broader question maybe is why are local nonprofits so chronically underfunded, and particularly one of the most wealthy regions of America, and if not the world? Yeah, so, you know, so there's a number of reasons for the disconnect. I mean, the, the, um, the reason that demand is going up for social services and it really gets back to those fundamental economic statistics. The middle class has declined by about 11% across the board in the last few decades. 
um, because cost of living is escalating so significantly. Uh, many families, including teachers and firefighters and nurses and folks working at Starbucks or in retail, um, again, they're really struggling to make ends meet and to pay um, pay the rent. And, you know, many of them can't even afford to buy a home. I mean, one interesting data point we came across is only 27% of families in San Mateo County can afford to buy their first home, and that's compared to about 72% nationally. So, um, so, so the the disconnect with you know what we call the prosperity paradox is really being driven by this um, hyper speed growth that we're seeing in the economy and the pressure it's putting on on rents and so on. Um, serving these communities, the flip side of this coin, you know, we wanted to look at both the supply of philanthropic capital being created and then also understand where it was going. And what's interesting is that the nonprofits in this region are also really suffering. So on the one hand, um, 80% of them have seen increased demand for their services in the last few years, and about 50% of them have a waiting list and think they won't be able to meet the demand. So as these families have needs that aren't being met, that they can't afford to meet with the wages they're making, they're turning to nonprofits to fill in those gaps. But at the same time, the nonprofits are also victims of this prosperity paradox. They, too, are struggling to pay rent when they have to compete for office space with tech startups that are venture capital-backed and have way more money and resources in the bank. They also have to compete for talent, so they have to be able to try and pay a living wage. They're finding more and more of their employees are having to move out of the region and creating long commutes and lots of cars sitting on freeways. Um, And then the nonprofits, because demands are going up and their costs are also going up, and they're having a hard time accessing some of this new philanthropy and wealth, what we're seeing is that they are actually more financially precarious than nonprofits around the nation. So we looked at some data from a number of our funder partners who supported our work, and we actually found that, you know, a number of these nonprofits are running um, deficits, or uh, many of them, about 50%, have less than three months cash on hand in the bank. So these nonprofits are also really living on the edge. And that's really disconcerting because these – These nonprofits, these community-based organizations that are local, that focus on social services, that meet the needs of very particular communities, ethnic groups, immigrants, um, communities at risk, living on the margins, you know, they are also really, really struggling to get by. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because we live here in Park City and it's a ski resort town and we're seeing some of the same trends. So what are the long-term implications, uh, not just for Silicon Valley, but for places like Park City, if this issue is not addressed? And what should nonprofit leaders do? or What can they do to address this issue? Well, it's, it's a really good question. And we would love for other people to go out and replicate our research in their community. Um, first of all, you know, it's very, very hard to get this data. So there is no single data set that tracks the amount of philanthropy, we literally had to cajole a whole list of different partners to share their data with us, so foundations, corporate giving programs, um, as well as um, donor-advised funds like Schwab Fidelity and, and, sorry, Schwab Charitable and Fidelity Charitable, both gave us access to anonymized data, but specific to these two zip codes. So so the data is very hard to get, but if if there was, say, for example, a community foundation or a community-based organization in another uh, region, we would love for them to go out and, and replicate this because, frankly, nobody's done this kind of research. So we don't know what the picture is in other communities. I will say that our hypothesis is Silicon Valley probably looks a lot like New York in terms of the income disparity and the hyper growth in jobs, but at the same time, this increasing um, inequality and displacement. 
um, that's going on. You know, you have a lot of philanthropy in New York as well. Chicago may be similar. Um, but again, I don't actually have the data, so I can't say. I will say that there's a great organization called the National Center for Responsive Philanthropy, and they have done some national studies of the amount of institutional philanthropy. So they're not so much looking at high-tech donors or new donors, but they are looking at overall growth in institutional philanthropy and trying to understand how much of that philanthropy goes to community-based grassroots organizations or organizations serving, you know, broadly speaking, social justice causes. And they've actually found a similar trend nationally, which is um, a fairly insignificant, less than 15% of all philanthropy is going really to the people who have the highest needs. A lot of that philanthropy is going to big institutions. You know, we found that in Silicon Valley as well. A lot of it's going to big national organizations with big brands. And a lot of it, frankly, these days is even going globally to other countries because some of these new donors, um, you know, many of these foundations, Ford Foundation and others, have a mandate to work on global issues. And many of these new donors um, work in tech companies and lead global lives. And, you know, they're heavily influenced by the thinking, you know, of all, you know, effective altruism where they think, oh, I can get more bang for my buck funding something in Africa. So it is a little disconcerting when you see um, how much money is going to other communities in need, but not necessarily meeting the needs right in our own backyards here at home. And that's a great point. I wanted to go into that with uh, kind of getting into this giving code you mentioned. It kind of exists as an implicit approach to philanthropy embodied by these high uh, tech donors. Um, in your opinion, if you're to talk to nonprofit leaders, how do they, quote, break that code and really understand what motivates these new donors to give? So the implicit giving code that we talk about, we sort of named four characteristics of these new donors, and others have been writing about this, you know, in the mainstream media and so on, but we talk about them being impact-oriented, very interested in metrics and return on investment. They're highly innovative and disruptive, so they want to drive innovation in big systems like education. So you see a lot of these donors investing in ed tech startups and new technologies and so on. Again, very influenced by their business experience and their technology experience. They're very connected. They like to give with their peers. So rather than turning to institutional philanthropists for guidelines, they're actually turning to each other and learning from their peers. Um, so we've seen a rise of, of, of giving circle models that really appeal to these new donors. And then lastly, they're very diversified. So they are using all kinds of new vehicles for giving, including donor-advised funds, which means many of them aren't setting up foundations. Nonprofits have figured out how to play the fundraising game with traditional foundations, but they're, they're um, hidden from public view. There's no public reporting on what they necessarily give to. These donors don't have any requirement to give um, immediately. They can put money there and get the tax benefit and then decide 10 years down the road what they want to give to. So it really is changing the landscape of, um, of fundraising. And that's, I wanted to ask about that. So in general, so is this isolated to the Silicon Valley and some of these new high-tech donors, or is this something you feel like across the board, fundraising, in your opinion, is it fundamentally changing for nonprofits? And, and if so, how do leaders adjust to that? How do development directors adjust to this new way of giving? Yeah, so we're actually working on a webinar series where we're taking for SSIR, which will be out in, um, it's actually starting in March uh, and April. So for folks who really want to dive deeper on this topic, they, they can join our webinar series. We're actually taking the findings from this report and developing some new content around what are the implications for nonprofits in terms of their fundraising. I mean, I think it's no surprise to say that the landscape of fundraising has changed significantly in the last decade. I mean, first and foremost, you have online fundraising 
and crowdfunding and a whole rise of online giving platforms, which has disrupted traditional methods of fundraising. You've seen the decline of direct mail and sort of traditional membership models. You've seen um, nonprofits that um, have actually been more successful in their fundraising because they're able to engage people in some kind of action and experience, and the millennials in particular, um, as well as many of these younger donors, want to be super hands-on in their giving. So they don't want to just write checks. They want to actually go to events and support the nonprofit and go on a site visit and sit on the board and be very hands-on. So, so fundraising is changing, and I, you know, and again, these trends. Again, our research and data was very specific to Silicon Valley, so I can't speak to the rest of the country. But I will say, we think Silicon Valley is sort of foreshadows where the economy is going, and where you know disruption in our society is going. And we think it also has implications for fundraising across the rest of the country. So, I, my my hunch is, if you did similar research again particularly in cities where the tech sector is highly dominant, like New York or Chicago or Austin, you'd see fairly similar trends in terms of how fundraising is shifting. Well, that's very helpful. And I think um, a question back to you would be, how can, if you were to, you know, people that are high-end donors are listening to this podcast or even nonprofit leaders that are listening to this podcast, so kind of a combination question, how can high-end donors and nonprofit leaders together take the lead in addressing this mismatch in giving and this new fundamental different way of giving? How do they work together in your mind? You know, and it's interesting because when when we dug into what's happening here in Silicon Valley, we actually found a marketplace that's really not working very effectively. So, you know, it's almost like these two groups, you know, we talk about them speaking different languages and using different mindsets and different frameworks. Community-based nonprofits in particular tend to focus on social justice issues and use more of an ethical or moral language about serving those most in need. Um, These tech donors tend to use really business language and business frameworks and have a business mindset. And it's almost like these two groups you know, keep missing each other. They also have very different networks. There aren't many places or forums where they actually can come together and learn from one another. So we found, in terms of bridging those gaps, what we found is most helpful is opportunities, first of all, to build capacity on both sides. Nonprofits need to be educated more in the language of business and understand that in order to raise money successfully from this new, these newly wealthy folks, they're going to need business plans. They're going to need to understand their business model. They're going to need to feel comfortable talking about their metrics and their cost per customer, if you will. So the nonprofits need to figure out how to meet these donors halfway and really articulate, you know, they're going to have to measure their impact and they're going to have to, you know, not everything can be measured. And I get that social impact measurement is a big, huge Pandora's box and it's complicated. And, you know, we could have a whole hour long conversation about just that. But the bottom line is they're going to have to find ways to, at a minimum, find proxy measurements for what they're doing and the impact that they're having. On the other, on the flip side of that, these donors need to understand that nonprofits trying to solve problems like homelessness can't scale as quickly as an app. And for that matter, an app can't solve homelessness, right? That some things don't lend themselves to technical solutions. And social change is really, really hard. Um, and there's a reason people, these nonprofits, you know, are so financially strapped because they're serving people and populations that um, exist in the gaps that are being left by markets and by government. So there's no kind of for-profit revenue-generating model if you're trying to feed the hungry or house the homeless, right? Um, So it's complicated. Social change is complicated, and I think donors sometimes come in naively thinking, well, you know, I built this successful tech business. How hard can that be? And they also have a steep learning curve to realize that this is complex, messy work. It involves human behavior and human dynamics. It involves 
gaps in markets and economics. Um, it involves working with people who are being left behind. And so um, so we think education on both sides and then opportunities for the two to come together and actually have these conversations. So, again, we've both done a lot of work with SV2, Silicon Valley Social Ventures, which is a venture philanthropy, um, giving circle in Silicon Valley. And, you know, that's one of the few places where you can actually find nonprofit leaders in a room with new donors having conversations about how do we solve these difficult problems in our community and rolling up their sleeves and working side by side as opposed to seeing each other as being on opposite sides of the table. That's interesting. And so, yeah, it sounds like we need more gatherings like that, more discussions. Um, and here's another thing that's come up in a lot of these podcast interviews when it comes to how fundraising is fundamentally changing. What, in your opinion, is how is social media changing the way people do fundraising, and particularly with millennials? So what's your take on that? So I'm not an expert on social media and fundraising, and there are other folks out there, Jennifer Aker, Beth Cantor, you know, who have looked more at um, how social media is changing organizing um, and so on. But what I what I can say is that, you know, obviously social media is a platform that can give you extensive reach. It's an opportunity to engage with people around your cause and taking action, um, not just writing checks. And if you engage with people around your cause or your issue, particularly for millennials, they are more inclined than to support you financially. You know, I, again, I think it's enabled nonprofits to expand their reach, expand their engagement. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of nonprofits that I think are still struggling to figure out how to use these new tools and use them successfully. I think some have done better than others. So for those who are listening to this podcast, what is your advice for both donors and nonprofit leaders regarding this report? What are the main takeaways you would like them to leave with? Yeah, so I think let me just start with the nonprofits. I mean, again, I think um, harking back to something I said a few minutes ago, I think for nonprofits, it's learning to understand and speak the language of business and metrics and being able to communicate effectively to these donors um, or at least meet them halfway. Um, it's also the ability to reach out and engage them. Again, donors are much more inclined to support issues and causes and organizations where they are directly involved and they can see the impact firsthand or where they can take a board seat and really um, help with their by contributing their um, time and their talent, not just their treasure. Um, so these nonprofits are going to have to learn how to navigate this new um, fundraising Landscape. And on the flip side, I think donors really need to understand that, again, social change is complicated. Nonprofits need donors to fund capacity building. They need to fund overhead. You know, I mean, we've had this whole overhead mess in our sector for way too long, and many people have spoken out against it. But they need to understand that um, sometimes buying state-of-the-art technology is the best thing you can do for a nonprofit because it can help them be ten times more effective. Or funding data and funding measurement. These donors all want data and measurement, then they should actually understand that they have to pay the nonprofit to do that. So I think, again, there's a little bit of education on both sides. But I think more than anything, we want donors to understand that there's a huge opportunity in their own backyards, even right here in Silicon Valley, to work on big, important, intractable, difficult problems, and that we need their talent, we need their expertise, we need their well, to be helping figure out how do we deal with the housing crisis in the Bay Area? How do we deal with homelessness? Um, how do we deal with a public school system that is struggling to adapt to the needs of the new workforce? Um, these are all issues donors should care about and many do care about. And we're basically making a plea that you don't have to go to Africa or India to have big impact. You can actually have big impact right here. 
I love it. Yeah, well said. Well, when we think about the future of nonprofits, the future of fundraising, what makes you optimistic about the prospects for the social sector going forward? Again, if you look at it from a market point of view, when you kind of step back and look at the whole system, what we really tried to dig into here was understanding and articulating the social sector marketplace in Silicon Valley, the supply of new wealth being created and the amount of capital going to philanthropy, and then the demand for that wealth on the nonprofit side, the demand um, for resources to support nonprofits, but also to support serving communities that um, are being left behind. And when you actually look at the whole marketplace, it's not functioning very effectively, but I'm actually quite optimistic because we have all these assets. The nonprofits have all this knowledge on the ground of what solutions work. Um, they are closest to the customer, if you will, you know, using the language of human-centered design and the D-School and IDEO. They're the ones who are really working with constituents at the grassroots level and really understand what the community needs are. So you've got all this knowledge, and then you've got these donors who actually have, you know, significant financial resources who can support innovation, but also have these incredible, you know, mindsets where they are willing to be disruptive. They are willing to take risks. They are willing to try some new things. We see nothing but um, potential. And our goal is to actually, with a whole coalition of partners in Silicon Valley, including the Packard Foundation and other funders and partners who supported our research, is really to begin to figure out how do we actually bring these two sides together and take an asset-based approach and help them connect in a way that they're not connecting now so that we can start to get some traction on some of these bigger challenges. Our guest today has been author and nonprofit expert Heather McLeod Grant. She's the co-founder of Open Impact and a social entrepreneur, an author, and a consultant with 25 years of experience in social change. She is the co-author of the best-selling Forces for Good, The Six Practices of High-Impact Nonprofits, named a top 10 book of the year by The Economist. Um, Heather, talk about, so where can people find The Giving Code again? And any other information, where if they'd like to know more information about you, get your books, where would you send them? Absolutely. So the best place to start is go to our website for Open Impact. We're a social impact advising firm. So we actually work new um, philanthropists as well as more traditional foundations and nonprofits. Our website is www.openimpact.io. And if you go to our webpage, you'll see right on the homepage, there's a link to the giving code where you can click through and download um, the shorter executive summary, which is, I think, 12 pages, or the longer, almost 80-page report, which has all of the data, all the charts and graphs. So that those people who are um, real data geeks and want to dig in on um, the underlying research, you know, I would encourage you to read the full report. But if you just want the quick summary, you can download the executive summary. And you can also find on our website um, our bios, myself and Alexa. You can learn more about our work, and there's links there to Forces for Good, my book, as well as other things that we've published over the last um, five years or so. So, yeah. Well, Heather, thank you so much again. This has been such a fascinating interview. I love your insights and your research. Uh, I know you're helping me and many other nonprofit leaders become better. And, of course, on the donor side, I think you're giving another vision for donors to uh, understand the, the complex challenges I think that nonprofits uh, are addressing and trying to address at least. So, once again, Heather, thanks for all you do, and thanks for your time today to be on the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. And thank you, Robin. I want to just uh, give you a shout-out as well for all you're doing to help build capacity in the nonprofit sector. So thank you. You bet. Absolutely. Thanks again, Heather. 
I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.